This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Hello and welcome to Radio Astronomy, the podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. You can subscribe to the print edition of the magazine by visiting skyatnightmagazine.com or to our digital edition by visiting iTunes or Google Play. This episode, I got to speak to cosmologist Dr. Eva Maria Muller about the Big Bang, the expansion of the universe and the mysterious accelerating force known as dark energy. My name is Eva Maria Muller. And I'm a researcher at the University of Portsmouth. I'm a cosmologist, and I'm in particular interested in studying dark energy and studying the expansion of our universe. <laughs> That's pretty cool. It's no no small task. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> thanks very much for for coming on the on on the podcast, Eva. Um, now, the 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 reason we're speaking is because you're one of the um, ten sort of uh, new scientists who've been selected for the Ernest Rutherford Fellowship at the Science Technology Facilities Council. I, was, I thought it'd be worth kicking off just um, talking a bit about that, um, exactly what it is and, and how you came to be involved. Yeah, so um, the fellowship is a five-year fellowship. It's a research fellowship um, for um, various different topics. So for me, within the field of astrophysics and astronomy, and that uh, fellowship really allows me to conduct my research freely uh, for the next five years uh, and independently. So these Ernest Rutherford fellowships here in UK, I think uh, one of the top methods of actually getting a permanent position and becoming 
uh, professor. So these fellowships are really a gateway to a tenured position in academia. And so I think it's um, what a lot of postdocs and PhD students is thriving towards. So having a career in um, research, having a career in academia and science. So I was very happy when I got this fellowship because it felt like, you know, this struggle of um, <laughs> uh, only like fixed term contracts for two or three years now is finally over and I can concentrate on just doing my research and not worry about anything else. That's pretty cool. Um, and as you said, your uh, research is about, um, well, the, the expansion of the universe, but not just the expansion of the universe, the fact that the expansion of the universe is accelerating and, and how we sort of deal with that uh, that uh, quandary, I suppose. What what attracted you to this subject? Because it must be just be absolutely daunting. <laughs> well, I was always fascinated by astronomy and astrophysics from a very young age. And then um, I was very good in science in school. So I decided to study physics. And then within physics, I choose to elect astronomy and astrophysics classes because I was just very fascinated by that. And then um, started my uh, PhD um, I went to the US, so I went to Cornell University. And then one of the professors um, there, Rachel Bean, was working in cosmology and on the cosmic microwave background. And, you know, she gave talks and I found it all very fascinating. So I decided um, to go into that field. And for me personally, I also like a bit of the balance between doing theoretical work, but then also having data to analyze and, you know, going to a telescope and observe for a couple of days. Um, so you have, you have like, I think the best of both worlds of being a theorist and um, being more of an astronomer. Yeah, yeah that's uh, pretty awesome. I mean, because um, th there's sort of this notion sometimes that maybe astron astronomers nowadays don't, don't actually sit at the telescope, that it's, it's, it's a lot of sort of analyzing data and looking at uh, computer screens, but, but you, you still actually have time to, to, uh, to actually observe the night sky? Not very often. So I was very lucky a couple of years back where I went to Chile to observe. And, um, but uh, it's, we're not really doing it on a regular basis. In particular, what I do, we are really, it's a group effort. So it's a large collaboration. So I currently work with the Dark Energy Spectroscopic Instrument. And we are over 500 people. So overall, um, that only means that you get to observe maybe once or twice per year, if you're lucky. And that was before the pandemic. Since the pandemic, they actually changed it all completely to remote observing. So now it, it, it's, it's really mainly sitting in front of your laptop unless you're one of the lucky ones that are actually, you know, <laughs> operating the telescope um, in Arizona at Kitt Peak. Awesome. Before we sort of get on to dark energy and the expansion of the universe, I, I, I did want to see if we could go all, sort of all the way back to, 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 to the start of the story. Um, how, much do, how, how, how close does our knowledge of the universe get to, to the Big Bang? How, just, just how far back do we... Do we understand what, what was going on at that time? I would say pretty far. So now, now just to step back, what 
we believe the universe in the beginning was very hot, very compact and very dense. And then it started to expand and to cool down. And as it cools down, you have the first atoms formed, you have the first hydrogen formed. And then these hydrogen starts to, they're gravitationally attracted, so they start to clump. And over time, you have the first stars and galaxies formed. And then um, also um, first planets and life on Earth, etc. Um, so it's really up to like a fraction after the Big Bang, where we, uh, we might not know all of the puzzles, but I think we have the broad picture of what is going on. But if you really ask me what is happening at the Big Bang, that is much more difficult because at the Big Bang, it's what we call a singularity. And at that point, really, our laws of physics break down. So the conditions are just so extreme that we just cannot apply the normal theory of gravity anymore. What we really need is a unifying theory of quantum mechanics and gravity, and that um, doesn't exist yet. So there's really completely where our knowledge breaks down. But even after, you know, a fraction of a second after the Big Bang, there's something that we call inflation. So extremely rapid exponential expansion of our universe. And uh, it's postulated that it's there because it allows us to explain uh, certain effects in the universe. But the underlying mechanics, we still don't fully understand. When you talk about um, the, the Big Bang as an event, most, most people will think, well, if it's an event, then there must have been something before the event. Um, in, in your opinion, does it even make sense to sort of say before the Big Bang? Can you talk about before the Big Bang? And, and if so, do you, do you think it's realistic that, that we could ever discover what happened before the Big Bang or what came before the Big Bang? Oof. So the Big Bang really is the start of everything. It's the start of time itself. It's the start of space itself and combined what we call space-time. So in that sense, um, the question becomes a bit, what does it even mean if there's nothing? What was before the nothing? (laughs) Um, There are a few, you know, theories of um, bouncing cosmologies where you would have an endless Big Bang expansion, contraction, next Big Bang and so on. Um, but yeah, for me as a physicist, you know, I study the things I want to explain what I can, what I can can see. (laughs) (laughs) So for me, the question what's before the Big Bang is maybe more for philosophy than for physics. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Well, let's move on to that then. Um, because your, your, your work, as we said, is, is, um, concerned with uh, the expansion of the universe. And that, that's an interesting concept in itself. And, and that sort of raises a lot of issues, doesn't it, as well? For, first of all, how, how do we know that the, that the universe is, is expanding, that, it, that, it's, that it's still expanding? So this really um, goes back to analyzing spectra. So when we um, get the light from galaxies, what we can do is we can break this light up into its components, into its different um, wavelengths. 
And when we go to our telescopes and observe the light of um, distant galaxies, what we will find is that um, all this light from galaxies is redshifted. So what that means is it's similar to um, the Doppler effect that in everyday life we know from a siren of a police car or an ambulance. So if the ambulance is coming towards you, then the sound um, is a higher pitch than when it's um, driving away from you where um, it's it's a lower pitch. And it's not because the siren just uh, makes different sounds when it comes towards you or further away. It just comes from the fact that the sound, the wavelengths of the sound is squeezed and stretched because of the motion of the ambulance um, relative to you. And now the same thing happens with the light from galaxies. Um, we know what we would expect to see, but instead um, the position of these lines in the spectrum are either blue shifted, which would mean things are coming towards us, or red shifted, which would mean that the galaxies are moving away from us. And what we observe indeed is that all of these galaxies are redshifted, so all of these galaxies move away from us. And not only can we um, measure that they're moving away from us, but we can also measure how fast they're moving away from us. And so we are also seeing um, this accelerated expansion of the universe. That's pretty. I mean, it's it's pretty mind blowing when you think about that. So it, it's it's essentially in in the time that it's that it takes from light from a distant galaxy to get to us, it's been stretched by the expansion of the universe. Have I got that right? Yes, exactly. So um, space itself is getting bigger. <laughs> I suppose that um, brings us on to another sort of um, before the Big Bang type question, which which is which is. Um, Quite difficult to get your head around, but it's the, the notion that if if the universe is 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 infinite, how how can it, how can it be expanding? You know, because how can it be expanding in into nothing? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's really hard to imagine that the universe started um, as something very compact and then started expanding. But it, it's not like it's expanding into anything. It's um, space itself. <laughs> that is expanding and um, for a while I mean the Big Bang theory was not the only possible theory people were thinking okay maybe the universe is static and infinite and has no beginning has no end but um, it was really um, the discovery for example of the cosmic microwave background that really gave proof of this scenario of a universe that has a beginning and then started to expand and started to cool down. Let's move on to what you're going to be uh, studying because, I mean, dark energy is is one of those um, concepts that's quite quite difficult for um, sort of uh, regular folk like me to get to get my head around. Um, am I right in, in thinking that dark energy is is the name that we give to to the to the force that's causing the acceleration of the expansion of the universe. Yeah, so you're not alone. Also, <laughs> us astrophysicists are very puzzled as to why the universe is accelerating. So the way that I would describe it, if you think back to Newton and his apple, you know, the apple falls down, 
But imagine you throw up an apple or a ball, and instead of this apple coming down because of gravity, it just keeps flying away from you, and it keeps flying faster and faster away from you. And that is really in contradiction to what gravity would do, because gravity is an attractive force, so it would pull it back. But that is exactly what we see the universe is doing. And the only way we can explain this acceleration is by um, introducing this new form of energy or dark energy. But it is really just an all-encompassing phrase for um, we don't know what it is. We know that is there. We know the effect that it has. But that's, that's as much as uh, we know so far. So dark really here is partially a lot of uh, our knowledge about the subject <laughs> is very thin. And isn't it, isn't it the case that that, that that sort of dark energy and then also dark matter, that's, that's, that's the majority of the universe, isn't it? Like... Yeah, exactly. So we know that dark energy is about 70% of our universe and the rest, um, 28%, is mainly dark matter. And the rest is um, baryons, you know, the stuff that you and me are made out of. And then also we have light, so we have radiation from galaxies and stars and so on. But the majority of our universe consists of that thing we basically have no understanding whatsoever. <laughs> so how is, your, how is your work actually going to um, look at the mystery of dark energy and, and potentially solve the mystery? So for dark energy, um, from a theoretical perspective, there are different options of what it could be. So one of the simplest explanations would be that dark energy is just a cosmological constant. So mathematically speaking, it's a constant that you can introduce into our equations to kind of balance the scales, if you will. And um, the way to interpret this cosmological constant is as a, some, a vacuum energy of space itself. Um, so um, ground zero energy, that's just um, intrinsic property of space. The problem with that really is um, that we can also, from a theoretical perspective, we can calculate what that should be. And... We are several orders of magnitude off between this theoretical prediction and the actual observation of the energy density, of the dark energy, energy density in our universe. So that's why it's just so, it's just a constant, it's a bit problematic. However, what we can do is we can measure how the universe is expanding over time. And we can see if um, this acceleration is driven by something constant, like a cosmological constant, or if it's also evolving over time. So one other possibility would be that it's just a new form of energy. Uh, so something that only interacts gravitationally, that's why. And because it's very low density, we haven't really observed here on Earth in our everyday life. But that is actually a new form of energy. And that um, could have the possibility that it's not a constant, but that it um, the acceleration evolves over time, that it's like uh, it's becoming faster or slower and things like that. Um, so this is um, one of the key observations that we're really trying to test. 
So it's something called uh, the dark energy equation of state. So that um, that basically is how does dark energy affect the expansion of our universe over time. And lastly, also a third very exciting possibility is that actually our equations are wrong. So it's not that... Um, you know, we actually have this new form of energy, but um, Einstein's theory of relativity basically gives you an equation for the dynamics of the universe on the one hand and all the energy in the universe on the other hand. And of course, we want um, the left-hand side balance to the right-hand side. And that's why, because of this matching the balance, we introduced this constant or dark energy, but it could also be that just, you know, the equations are wrong and that we need to modify um, general relativity or have some form of general, general relativity if we talk about um, the universe as a whole. And then that we can also observe by looking at the growth of structure in our universe and how it evolves over time. So specifically what I'm doing is um, I'm really interested in creating a three-dimensional um, map of a distribution of um, galaxies. So what I mean by that is um, we're going to observe um, millions of galaxies and we're going to look at where is it on the sky, so its angular position, but then also we measure its redshift, which gives us um, its distance. So like that, we really get a three-dimensional map of the distribution of galaxies in our universe. And then we can basically slice through that in like steps of distance, which is equivalent to different eras in the history of our universe, and then see how the universe expanded. Is it going faster? Is it slowing down? And so forth. And specifically what we're using there is something called um, barren acoustic oscillations. So it's a very nice technique that is basically in the very early universe, you have this acoustic uh, waves like sound waves and these imprint rings in the distribution of galaxies and that we can still measure today. So in this distribution of galaxies on the sky it's not completely random. You have like hidden hidden patterns in this distribution and and what I'm trying to do is measuring this hidden scale, this burn acoustic scale in what we call the large-scale structure of our universe. And then this scale, as I said, we can measure the scale at different times during the history of our universe. And because we know um, how big the scale is expected, we can compare it to our measurement and like that um, gain information how the universe expanded and then constrain the acceleration of the universe, and by that, constraining the properties of dark energy.
<laughs> it it just sounds like such a a mind blowingly mammoth task. Um, do, do do you sort of have a a prediction as as to how long you, that the project will take? So for my current project, um, analyzing data from um, it's called DESI, the Dark Energy Spectroscopic Instrument. So this is um, a five year survey. So for five years, we're gonna scan the night sky getting spectra of millions of galaxies and then analyzing the data. And um, that really will give us um, percent level precision on the expansion of a universe up to a redshift of 3.5. So see, in cosmology, we always describe distances with redshift so much so that in my head, I'm not thinking, you know, in light years or in, in these other astronomical units. For me, the history of the universe is always in redshifts. So, <laughs> up, so redshift of zero means it's today. And the higher the redshift, the further back in time you go. So approximately at 0.4 and redshift of 0.4, the universe started to be um, what we say, dark energy dominated, where the expansion is really driven by this dark energy component. And um, if we go back further in time, there was a meta-dominated era where the expansion was driven by the meta-content of our universe, so by the dark matter. And then if you go even further back, it's the so-called radiation-dominated era, where uh, so photons were driving the expansion. Um, of our universe. Well, that, that's that's a really interesting point. That's, that's something I've I, I've never thought about before. So, do we know that? Can we can we say to to a certain degree of certainty that 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 dark energy wasn't always there? Dark energy was there, as far as we know. It is just um, it is just that the overall energy of our universe was dominated not by dark energy, but by matter. But as the universe expands further and further and all the galaxies are further apart, that eventually the driving force really is being taken over by dark energy. So the acceleration or the expansion of a universe then um, is dominated by that form of energy. So you can think about it um, in the early universe where everything was very hot. There, the dominant energy was from radiation. And But as then the universe expands and gets cooler, that eventually turns into an era we call meta-domination, meta-dominated era, and then eventually dark energy-dominated era, which is the era we are currently in. It's like you're... Um... It's like you're uh, tra- traveling back in time. That 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 always really um, fascinates me about about the work of uh, astronomers and um, cosmologists like yourself. It, it's this idea that you're sort of almost looking back in time. It's, it's it's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah, it is, and it's coming from the fact that the you know, uh, sorry the light from distant galaxies just takes so long to reach us. So by the time that star that we observe might not even exist anymore. Yeah, it's sort of done us a favour, hasn't it? The, the speed of light has sort of done us a favour because it takes so long that we we, we had the time to evolve as a species and, and invent telescopes and, you know, 
and uh, you know gravitational wave surveys so that we can actually observe the uh, early universe. Yeah, it also goes both ways, right? If you think of someone else in a far off our galaxy <laughs> observing this little light that comes from Earth or from our star. Yeah, it's pretty mind blowing. Um, the, the, the other thing that really interests me about um, the notion of of dark energy is um, it's it's sort of well, it's uh, ch- sort of changed um, our view of the, f- the future view of the universe, hasn't it? Because I remember being in um, as, as a as a sort of young teenager, being in uh, physics class, and at that time, this is probably this is probably showing how um, my age, but at that time, the idea it was pretty certain that that the expansion of the universe would slow down and eventually eventually reverse and can contract into like a big crunch. Um, but, but that's obviously not the case now that we know about dark energy um, um, accelerating the expansion of the universe. So it, it's, it's, it's really interesting how, how the uh, discovery of dark energy has it's actually changed our um, view on how the future of the universe will play out, hasn't it? Yeah, even though I would say, because we still don't know exactly what dark energy is, we could be in for a surprise. <laughs> so yes, if dark energy is really behaves like a constant and also in the future will behave like a constant, then the most likely scenario is that of a so-called freeze out. So what I mean by that is that um, the expansion continues and all the stars and galaxies around us will get further and further away from us. So they the light will get more and more redshifted, it will get more and more dimmer. So the universe as a whole keeps continuing to cool down and eventually everything will be dark. Also the stars will start running out of fuel. So they will slowly die and then end up, you know, in a supernova as a white dwarf, as a neutron star, as a black hole. But even black holes eventually through Hawking radiation will disappear. And we just end up with this um, freezing dead <laughs> universe. But I mean, who knows? Who knows? Since we don't know what dark energy is, if if dark energy has like peculiar behavior in the future that could also be completely different than going back to a, a big crunch scenario in which, you know, like an anti-Big Bang, everything will start contracting again towards a singularity. But, I mean, I'm an astronomer and not an astrologist, (laughs) so I can't look into the future. (laughs) But, um, you know, if if you assume that um, the properties of dark energy are not going to change and that it's really some form of cosmological constant, then that's the most likely scenario for... um, future are there any any other um missions sort of future or or current that 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 you're that you're particularly excited about in in terms of your um your own research are are you excited about what um jwst might bring or the uh, square kilometer array for example or what what are the big missions that you are excited about now or or in the future so there's one big um service called euclid that is doing something um similar to um, what DESI is doing, but it's a space mission. So whereas uh, DESI is ground observation. And Euclid not only measures the 
distribution of galaxies, so the large scale structure, but it can also measure the lensing of light um, as it comes towards us. So analyzing this combination of the clustering of galaxies and the, the big lensing is a very powerful tool that will allow us to constrain um, modified gravity. So this third alternative explanation for dark energy that I mentioned. But there are also other interesting things going on. Um, as you mentioned, SKA, um, that really will allow us to push even further um, back in time during um, something called the Dark Ages, where you only had neutral hydrogen, so um, before the first stars and things like that. So that is also very exciting. And then there are also um, more exper experiments about um, the cosmic microwave background. So in the past, we had experiments called WMAP and Planck, but uh, we also have a future service um, such as it's called CMB stage four, for example, that really will measure the cosmic microwave background to a precision um, never that we have never before, and also particular measure the lensing of the cosmic microwave background. So this combination of different effects that we talked about, and then all of these um, different probes combined will really allow us. Um, to gain you know, precision cosmology is what we call it. So really um, measuring all the different cosmological parameters to uh, precision, uh, to unprecedented precision. That's amazing. Just it sort of all, all, all coming together. I suppose it's just, you know, cosmologists and astronomers and institutions working together to, to sort of um, solve some of the biggest, the biggest questions facing us really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean... Uh, we only have one universe, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's not like we can just go ahead and come up with a different um, tabletop experiment and do it over and over again. But what we can do is we have all these different um, traces of the expansion of our universe and all these different things we can observe. Um, the background radiation, the lensing, the distribution of galaxies. We can also look at clusters of galaxies and how they behave and so forth. So we have many different avenues and really only the combination of all of these will really allow robust um, measurement of cosmology because, of course, there are you know systematic effects that each individual probe suffers from. So to be really 100% sure, we need these different probes to validate each other's results um, so we know for sure that you know it's not a loose cable that we observe <laughs> <laughs> but actually uh, dark energy fantastic um yeah i mean this um always happens whenever i talk to uh, astronomers and co cosmologists like yourself um it it's just so inspiring and uh, exciting. And I know I'm going to be thinking about it all for the rest of the day. Um, but um, I just want to say uh, thank, thank, thanks for coming on the podcast and for, for speaking to me and for, for sharing your knowledge and expertise. And good luck with your research as well. I mean, I hope you'll, you'll sort of stay in touch and, and, and let us know what you and your, your team find out. But um, yeah, I just want to say that thanks, thanks again for speaking to me today. Well, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. 
And maybe five years from now, you're gonna get an update with exciting news. Cool, hope so, hope so. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Radio Astronomy Podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. For more of our podcasts, visit our website at skyatnightmagazine.com or head to Acast, iTunes or Spotify. Hey, I'm Ali Colbert, the host of Breaking Down with Ali Colbert. I'm going to break down. Are you going to break down? Let's break things down. Let's break down ourselves, each other, barriers, stereotypes, glass ceilings, maybe also just glasses. Tune in every week as I'm joined by celebrities, experts, and other comedians. I ask all the questions you need the answers to. Follow Breaking Down with Ali Colbert on Spotify to get new episodes every Wednesday. Mm-hmm.